welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. In this episode, I am calling it the Oscars 2022 After Party. At the end of this episode, I plan on talking perhaps briefly about the Oscars because the winners have been announced. Um, I imagine I won't have a ton of stuff to talk about, just you know, going over the winners and such. But in the meantime, I will talk about the movies I've seen. I've seen a lot. I've been enjoying watching movies. Um, I just, it's fun to just sit back and relax. And, you know, the world is so terrible. It's always been terrible since the beginning of time. And it will continue to be terrible until the end of time, probably within the next two years so life doesn't improve it never improves and I just like to tune out my brain and tune out the noise and just sit back and watch a movie Um, I'm enjoying a Miller High Life the champagne of beers on 1136 a.m. Thursday March 31st 2022 I picked up an Amazon shift earlier today at 1 a.m. to it was supposed to be till 5 a.m. but at around 4 10 a.m. they were like do you want to do you want voluntary time off VTO I was like uh sure I'll go home who needs money in terms of a gaming corner I haven't been playing much games lately um my attention span has been pretty bad. Um, I purchased a physical copy of Chocobo GP. I know you can buy the digital copy on on the Switch on uh, on the Switch e store e shop, but I purchased the physical copy on Play Asia, and I was excited to play it because, you know, it's like a Final Fantasy version of Mario Kart. And I opened it up, started playing it, and I was I was doing the story version, the story mode, and I just cut I, I quickly got bored of it. Um maybe I'll try it again. Maybe maybe there are other modes, but the story mode was just boring me. Um I saw that there was an update. I don't know if they fixed anything. I'm not sure. But I felt like I just wanted to put it away as quick as possible. Um, other than that, I, I play, I pick up Tony Hawk. I played a little bit of that, you know, here and there, just a few, like a few minutes worth. I'm still in that, like that warehouse mode. Um, I remember really liking it as a kid. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not a skateboarding fan. I'm not a skater. You know, I know the big ones like Tony Hawk. That's pretty much it. But, um, I grew up in Orange County, California, so I feel like I was surrounded by skate culture and punk and ska culture, but I never had any friends, so I ne- I kind of stayed away from it and social niceties and social royalties. I don't know what social royalties are. Anyway, I recently purchased the new Kirby game, and I heard it got good reviews, so I I want to check that out. I I get sucked into the hype of these game pre-orders. So like I purchased 
Elden Ring with it came with the steel book. I I purchased a special edition of Horizon Forbidden West. Horizon. Um Forbidden West. I can't even think of the full name. Zero Dark Horizon. Oh boy. Anyway, I haven't played either Horizon game, so it doesn't make sense to play the second one prior to playing the first one, and I haven't played Elden Ring. I have a bunch of games that I haven't played yet. And, you know, I'm I'm really bad with money. I was editing a previous episode and I said I'm bad with I didn't say money. I said like I'm bad with monkey or something. Anyway, life's pretty terrible. I I wanted to talk briefly about the Batman because I listened to my favorite podcast, We'll See You in Hell, and they reviewed the movie, and they hated it, and it was very surprising to me, especially Joe, and I. Pat mentioned that he liked it a little more than Joe, but they both pretty much thought it was very boring, and they hated the... I, I find Joe DeRosa to be so baffling, because... All right, here's the thing. The Batman. So, Mar uh, Joe DeRosa hates Marvel at this point because they have the movies have become joke machines. It's all comedy attempts and humor attempts, and like cheap gags, and he hates it. He really doesn't like Marvel. And I remember watching the Batman and thinking Joe is gonna love this because this movie is the anti-Marvel movie. There isn't a smile in the entire movie. There isn't a joke. There isn't any attempt at comedy at all. I love the tone. I love the atmosphere. And I just loved it. And then I listened to their episode. And, you know, it, it makes me mad for about 30 seconds while watching, while listening to the episode. But then quickly I'm like, you know, they have their opinion. Everyone has their opinion. And they're entitled to their opinion. And I would never want to change anyone's opinion just like I don't think anyone else would want to change my opinion. And, you know, they reviewed Infinity War and they, um, well, Joe reviewed it and Pat listened and Joe hated it. But I still, and I enjoy that episode because they're funny, but I still enjoy Infinity War. I think it's a solid film. It's an entertaining film. So it's fine. But I just, I listened to that episode and I just can't, I it's so baffling. Um, and I really love the Batman. I keep Goog I keep searching on bestbuy.com. I search the Batman Steelbook to see when they're going to release or when they're act um at least going to put the post up, you know, the listing for the Batman Steelbook. Hopefully it gets a steelbook. I did up I did end up buying the soundtrack for it cuz I love the soundtrack. And what's What's interesting slash sad is that in the whole movie, there, like I said, there's not a joke. There's not a laugh to be had. And it, in the whole movie, if there, if you could consider something in the vicinity of a joke, of a laugh, it's the line where Batman is at Catwoman's house and he says, you have a lot of cats. 
And it's not really a joke. It's just kind of a funny observation. And that's the one line that Joe DeRosa points out. Uh, like, that's the one line in the whole movie that sounds human. I just, I don't get it. It's it's kind of frustrating. But again, if they hated it, they hated it. There's, It's fine. Everyone has their opinion, like I said. But I, I just don't understand it. And I just, I almost can't believe that they didn't like it because I just loved it so much. And, you know, to be honest, in when I put my episode up, um, I did try to, you know, I did try to kindly say, like, um, Cedric Diggory, what's his name, Robert Pattinson, Pattinson his performance was very reserved and very quiet and very um, low-key or whatever. And I was I was basically polite, politely saying that his performance was boring, but I didn't want to say it out loud. I didn't want to admit it. And Pat Walsh just says it straightly, his performance was boring as Bruce Wayne and as Batman. And I still don't necessarily think it was boring. It just... But at the same time, I, I have to admit maybe it was. I just don't want to admit it. I don't want to say it. But like I said, um, I think that was... I think his portrayal as Bruce Wayne was intentional. Where he hasn't... Because it's a, an early version of Batman. He's young. He He hasn't reached that level of Christian Bale's Batman or Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne, or Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne, where he learns as he grows older that he has to put on a persona. He has to put on a persona of this public persona of a, like a, a drunken playboy, um, a fun-loving philanthropist rich boy, I guess, to try to, I guess, put people off the scent that he is Batman. I don't know. Because I remember the one line where um, in the Batman, when Alfred was like, uh, these people are coming over to the house. And then Robert Pattinson was like, why are they coming here? Or he, he said something like, why? So obviously he, he doesn't want to see anyone. He's still, I mean, his whole life he's grieving over his parents. But he has he's still young. He hasn't learned that he has to put on this public persona as Bruce Wayne. So that's how I interpreted it. And I remember Joe DeRosa kept saying that um, um, that the first, he hated the first Apes movie and he loved number two and three. And I, me personally, I love the first one and then I didn't really love the second one and I haven't seen the third one. But Matt Reeves did number two and three, and some guy named Rupert Wyatt did the first one, I believe. So I just wanted to put my thoughts on, like, I couldn't believe that the boys did not like the Batman. Speaking of the boys, I'll get to Edmund's movie corner, which is a complete ripoff of Pat's movie corner. The first movie I watched that I'm going to talk about is a documentary called The Boys, The Sherman Brothers Story. So 
sad fact about me many many years ago i want to say 2000 you know 14 2015 maybe i'm not sure maybe earlier the first podcast that i really got into was and this is not a joke it was a it was a disney podcast called mousestalgia and it's hosted by four people four friends and i just really love their banter and their you know, and I was a Disney fan. At this point in time, I'm a reluctant Disney fan. Like, deep in my heart, I have to admit that I love Disney and I love their products. But at the same time, I am jealous. Um, my my ultimate goal in life five, ten years ago was to be able to afford, comfortably afford a Disney annual pass. And I was I was jealous of people who could do that, and you know to this day, uh, that's not my goal anymore. But um, I just I'm jealous of people who can in, indulge in their Disney love and l- Disney interests, and you know people who go to Disney all the time they annoy me. But at the same time, I wish I could do it. I wish I could afford to do it. Because I really think I would enjoy it and it would be fun. Even though my wife says, you know, it wouldn't be special. You you should go once a year, maybe. Um, and it, it keeps it special as opposed to these people who go there, you know, five times a week. Anyway, over the years, my personality and my soul got more and more depressed and more and more cynical and negative and pessimistic. So I was like, I, in my right mind, can't continue to listen to a Disney podcast. But, you know, they would talk about a a bunch of Disney stuff. And one of them was they're big fans of the Sherman Brothers, of course. And at one point, I wanted to buy the DVD. I'm not sure if it was available, but I was I forgot all about it. And I was scrolling through the 80 billion streaming services on March 21st because I listed the date here on my Excel sheet as well. And I found The Boys, the Sherman Brothers story. And I remember, oh, that's that doc that I always wanted to see that I completely forgot about, and now I can watch it. So I watched it, and it's really good. I liked it a lot. The Sherman Brothers, if you don't know, they are the two brothers who wrote, who were songwriters. They were like genius songwriters who wrote, the sound the songs in Mary Poppins so you know feed the birds chim shimmery um supercalifragilisticexpialidocious all those songs um a lot of the disney classics i forget the decades but maybe in the 60s 70s 80s uh, maybe um they were behind like winnie the pooh and all this stuff and What's interesting about it is that they didn't really like each other. And it's kind of a sad, tragic story. Um, Richard Sherman is the older brother, is the younger brother, sorry. And Robert Sherman was the older brother. And when they were younger, Robert Sherman went joined the army and he basically saw some shit in the army he fought in like world war ii i'm sure the thing is he i'm not sure if he's ever come out and been open about it but i'm assuming 
he he saw and heard and experienced some shit and i'm assuming he saw some of his friends die in front of him or something because i'm sure he saw some horrific scenes and he he was like I, i forget the details but he had a really bad experience so when he ended up getting shot in the knee and he came back from war and he was basically a different person very reserved very to himself he didn't want to socialize and he's very like just to himself he doesn't that's the impression i got he's like didn't talk to much to anyone much other than people he needed to speak to like his family and stuff and richard Sher- sherman is the complete opposite he's very bubbly and um talkative and joyous and they're just polar opposites but they they realized that when they work together um cuz the older brother robert sherman he studied he was very much into li- literature and poetry he wanted to write novels and richard sherman was he studied music so he was a genius on the piano and music so when they put it together richard sherman would write the music and then robert sherman would write the lyrics and what came out of it were, were these genius songs and so when i started to think about it i started to think like if they had truly liked each other and loved each other and got along swimmingly they wouldn't have been able to come up with these genius songs and it's out of this conflict with each other that you know they worked together but once they clocked out for the night they just didn't speak that that's kind of the story and it's very sad and um you know i th- i think richard S- sherman really loved him his older brother i think he looked up to him he really did but i think robert sherman just wasn't able to emotionally open himself up to anyone including his brother i think that's just what happened it's very sad but at the same time they wrote this genius music that everyone is able to enjoy forever it it kind of reminds me of uh lucy lucy and desi how um you know some some lady at the end of that documentary directed by Amy Poehler she said you know the reason they did i love lucy is so that so that they could be together and and be a family together and he wouldn't have to tour and she wouldn't have to do all these movies and they could work together and be together as a family but they kind of ended up hating each other so they never got to get what they want but the universe gets to enjoy their creations together forever and that's the same same deal with the boys the sherman brothers story they they never had this great relationship together as brothers but they had a, a conflicted interesting working relationship and were able to create these genius creations um i also next i watched turning red Turning Red is the latest Pixar movie from Pixar. Oh, good one, Edmund. Um it's on Disney Plus. I 
I watched I watched it with my wife. We liked it. At um, at the same time, I had my problems with it. I mean, I don't. I forget how old she is. I'm gonna guess like fourteen or sixteen, fifteen. Her and her friends, I found annoying and obnoxious, and I think that's a running theme with a lot of these coming of age disney movies or maybe just coming of age stories in general at the beginning of the movie they're kind of obnoxious they have to show their flaws you know and by the end they're a changed person they're a grown-up whatever but the way they presented this girl and their friends was they were kind of obnoxious and i guess they were supposed to be and you know it's fine it was a good movie i don't think it's one of pixar's best um you know i it's interesting because sometimes i think about like pixar i think coco was pixar's peak peak pixar and coco was something special like i had after i watched at the end i was bawling like the most I've bawled in recent history. Like, I couldn't remember the last time I bawled like that at the end of Coco. And I had to turn away from my wife. There's a scene in Just Shoot Me where David Spade is like, don't look at me because he's crying. That's that's what I did. I was like, don't look at me. I was crying so bad. And I don't think they've been able to reach that level, not even close so far after Coco. Meanwhile, Disney Animation Studios has been doing pretty great. I think Raya and the Last Dragon was um, very, very good. I thought Luca was lesser Pixar. And we'll talk about Encanto Encanto later in the episode. Turning Red, I, I liked it when the giant mom panda bear came to the stadium and that's when I thought, oh, this movie is getting pretty cool. But overall, it's, you know, it's it's another coming-of-age story. There, Coco was so unique and different and very emotionally potent. And I think everyone's trying to chase that feeling. And no one's really attaining that level of greatness that Coco did. But Turning Red, it's... It's fine. It's not one of Pixar's best. Next, I watched Deep Water. And Pat Walsh mentioned it on the podcast. He says he didn't like it. It was not good. And he kind of regrets watching it. And I completely get it. It's not a great movie. It's not a good movie. But for me, like the first hour or so, maybe 45 minutes... I was enjoying it. I was kind of invested. I was interested in the story. I thought it was interesting because Ben Affleck, um, who, by the way, he looks like Bruce Wayne. He looks like Batman. He has like a kind of a square, blocky, bulky build. And he he's probably the most, he looks like Bruce Wayne the most out of all the Batmans. Um kind of makes me want to go back and watch um, Batman v Supes and you know Justice League and all that and I'll, I'll be looking forward to him in the Flash movie but in Deep Water 
he he has an arrangement with his wife where he is loyal to her a hundred percent, but she is not, and she gets to go go around and sex with other guys, and he's just like whatever, bro. And then all of his friends are like, you know, this is it's like disrespectful. It's kind of rude. It's kind of ridiculous. And he's like, well, I want her to be happy. Bar 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 bar. So. I thought it was interesting, but at around the halfway mark, I started to laugh real hard at moments that were not meant to be funny, and I started to enjoy it a lot. I'm not sure if I would call it so bad it's good, but at the same time, it might be so bad that it was good. Um, I told my brother about this movie, and he started to record clips and send it to me of clips that he thought was funny so Ben Affleck is calm throughout the whole throughout the whole you know an hour or so of the movie and then all of a sudden he goes to his wife and he's like you want to tell me what the fuck you were doing <laughs> and that made us both laugh and then she says something like you don't love me anymore and he goes I do love you. It's just dumb, like ridiculous. I don't know. It it just made us laugh. It's not supposed to be funny. And eventually I started I had I started to laugh so bad at this one scene. It was the sequence when he takes the guy um it's the guy later in the movie, Tony. He brings him in his car and they're driving real fast and he's driving really recklessly. And I just I started getting like a rolling laughter kind of. And then Tony was like, oh, I better I better call your wife. And Batman was like, sure, go ahead. And he's like, oh, there's no service. And Batman was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. And then he breaks real hard to the point their bodies move forward. I laughed at that. And then Batman throws a rock at the guy's head. I laughed at that. And basically, I I laughed throughout the whole time that this guy was getting killed. And I, I almost, I don't think it was meant as a dark comedy or a parody or anything like that. I think it was meant to be a genuine thriller. But I thought it was so bad. It was funny. And then at the end, like Tracy Letts was, of course, he has to say what he's texting as he's trying to text. Like, I was right. And he drives himself off a cliff. And then Ben Affleck just casually rides his bike home. I don't know. I enjoyed myself. Of course, it's not a good movie. It's not a great movie. But I had a lot of fun with it. I shouldn't have, but I did. Next up, I watched The Adam Project. Um, this showed up on Netflix. Um, again, I, you know, I'm off social media, so I don't hear about any of, or maybe they're not even mentioned on social media. But I don't hear any of the, about any of these movies unless they show their thumbnail shows up on Netflix. So, you know, without watching the movie, you the the first thing you notice is that okay, it stars 
uh, Deadpool. It stars the Hulk. It stars the Green Girl from Guardians of the Galaxy. And it, it it's like a smaller version of Dune where they just pick out comic book actors. But Adam Project, I it was surprisingly fun. It was pretty simple. It's a pretty simple story, but it deals with time travel and you kind of have to save the world. I think the villain, I forget her name, um, she was in Get Out and 40-Year-Old Virgin. Maybe she was miscast, but it's it wasn't really a big deal. Um, but I, we enjoyed Adam Project. It's kind of a simple, straightforward, well, as simple and straightforward as you can get in a time travel movie. But they don't try too much with the time travel gimmick, which, in my opinion, is better. Because people always say that Primer is one of the best time travel movies but I can't watch it because the acting is so terrible. I started it with my wife and we got five minutes in and we're like, let's change it. Um, you can't just put a camera on two people talking and call it a movie. Like they're they're not emo- attempting to emote in any way in Primer. Anyway, we're not talking about Primer. We're talking about the Adam Project. I thought it was pretty fun. Um it's just it just felt very simple and straightforward and and fun i will say i think ryan reynolds he's very likable that's something that he has going for him that's a very strong quality and you know i i like ryan reynolds about 80 billion percent more than chris pratt because for me chris pratt i mean i've gone over this before but Chris Pratt plays Chris Pratt in every movie and he can't differ from that. And to me, he is, he, maybe he was likable at first, but at this point he's boring and he does the same thing over and over and he's no longer likable and he's not that funny. Ryan Reynolds is likable and is funny, but at the same time, I guess it's not really fair because he too is doing the same shtick in every movie um you know the fast talking da 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 and in adam project he's the fast talking da 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 so i still like the movie a lot and i liked him in it and i hope you know if you're a multimillionaire and people give you millions of dollars to do the same thing over and over again like who i i wouldn't change it up because why would i But I hope he changes it up just because, you know, have fun with it. Try other projects. Try to do something out of your comfort zone. Because even though I liked the movie and I liked him in it, it is getting, you know, it's it's getting repetitive. I'm sure it got repetitive years ago. But, you know, come on. We can do something different at this point. Next up, because I watched the the boys the sherman brothers story i watched they they played a few seconds of this song called let's get together from the parent trap 1961 i have never seen the movie i'm not familiar with the movie although i did watch the remake i believe with lindsay lohan lindsay lohan 
and I watched The Parent Trap, 1961, and I I liked it surprisingly. Um, I don't, you know, older movies for me are hit and miss. I always, you know, I sometimes I always say, oh, it, you know, maybe it was of its time, but there are movies from the is is a space odyssey from the 60s i'm not sure but um sometimes move sometimes movies that are old hold up in a big way and sometimes i feel like i want to say you know maybe it was a product of its time space odyssey was from 1968 parent traps from 1961 and i liked it a lot it stars Haley mills it stars Maureen O'Hara and Brian Keith. Um, Haley Mills plays twins. Maureen O'Hara I had never seen in anything, and I, I've heard her name multiple times on We'll See You in Hell podcast from Only the Lonely. And in The Parent Trap, it's 30 years prior to Only the Lonely, and she's a stone-cold fox milf. Um, sorry if that term offends you, but it's factual. Um, she's gorgeous in the movie and she, she, you could tell she has like a, she's a very serious actress. She almost had, like, I don't think I've ever seen Gone with the Wind, but she almost has like Gone with the Wind acting, but it's a pretty fun movie. I, I can imagine people watching that movie at the time and I'm assuming it was a big hit. I'm not sure, but it was a pretty fun movie, and uh, I liked it. And that song, when it hits, is kind of the climax and probably the most memorable part of that movie. Um, so I liked it. The Parent Trap, 1961. Next, I watched Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills was bad. It was a bad movie. Um, I watched Halloween 2018, and I liked it. I know, I think a lot of people didn't like it. Um, I liked it fine, but I never had any interest in watching it again. I never, I didn't really have any interest in watching Halloween Kills, although they talk about it on We'll See You in Hell, so that I, that's where, I, where my interest starts and ends. So I watched it and I just thought it was bad. First of all, the opening they they make they play out the scene like it's from 1978 or whatever. And I don't know if they did this on purpose, but I felt that the acting was so bad. It was such a turnoff for me. Um again, going back to that primer deal, but um Maybe that's a commentary on 1978 acting or acting in horror films in general. Or maybe those guys were just bad actors, but I just thought that the acting was bad at the beginning of the movie. And then the whole stuff with, you know, this mob running around, I just thought everyone was so dumb. And I love how Jamie Lee Curtis says, you, you stupid... I don't know what exactly she says. I don't remember. But she says something like, you stupid fucking sheep. You've got the wrong guy that isn't... Um, I forget his name. Leatherface. Uh, Michael Myers. 
That isn't Mike Myers from um, Wayne's World. But maybe it was a commentary on mob on mob culture, but you know, I think human beings in group settings is just dumb. So I like that Jamie Lee Curtis pointed it out. Like you guys are all dumb. You guys are idiots. You guys are stupid ass motherfucking idiots. And I just the movie was just bad. It was just bad. I don't know what else to say about it. Um, I didn't like it. I'm not looking forward to any other future Halloween movie. Next movie I watched was The Eyes of Tammy Faye. The movie was all right, kind of boring in spots. But um, I really liked Jessica Chastain's performance. You know, in the beginning-ish of the movie, before, you know, she cut her hair. I mean, way, like the scene basically where she first meets Jim Baker and she's like sitting in the pew audience, church audience or whatever. And she has like makeup caked on. Well, she has makeup on, but it's not caked on yet to the point of ridiculosity yet. It's early on in their lives. And I just, I never noticed how pretty she is. I'm like, damn, this girl's pretty. And her performance is really great. Um, She steals the show for sure. And it's a juicy role for her. Well, I'll talk about, I'll talk more about that at the end of the episode. Because, you know, this is the Oscars after party. I watched Spiral from the Book of Saw. Oh, oh gosh. I watched this. We'll get to it later as well. But I watched this in support of Chris Rock because I wanted to check it out. And, you know, they did an episode on We'll See You in Hell. And I, I liked it. It's an enjoyable movie. It's grotesque and gross and disturbing but i liked it and you know they've talked about on we'll see you in hell how chris rock is a great comedian stand-up comedian one of the best but he's not a great actor he's not a good actor and it's hard to argue they did say they liked him a lot in spiral and i liked him i still you know, I can't say he's a great actor. Even his performance, like you, I bought him as a a cop, but he's still not a great actor. Uh, which, you know, at this point, it's it's fine. I bought him in the role, and he did he did a satisfactory job, and that's all you need in this horror movie. Like you don't need um, classically trained acting in a horror movie or any movie if you can do the job fine. You can do the job fine. So I bought him in the role and it was fine. The traps were disgusting. It's the first and only Saw movie I've seen. It has made me want to watch the others. I, I'm not... You can buy the the eight movies, the first eight movies. Spiral is the ninth. You can buy it right now for like 10 bucks, the DVD. And I'm tempted to... 
but I feel like I might just buy it and then it'll sit here because maybe I'm enthused about the movie. Like same thing happen. It, it always happens with me. I get I get excited after watching something and then I buy something and then I don't touch it. Um, I re after watching being the Ricardos and I love and the Lucy and Desi documentary. I bought the entire I Love Lucy DVD set and I haven't popped in DVD one. That's just what happened. But I am interested in watching the other movies. I'm not sure if I'm going to bite the bullet and buy the eight movie set for 10 bucks. I I want to. I just I'm not sure if I would. But I did like Spiral. It's an enjoyable movie. I was excited to see Marisol Nichols in the movie. I didn't recognize her face, but, you know, she's the chief of police and she was hot. So I looked her up. I recognized her name because I recognized her from Boy Meets World, like a few episodes in the later seasons. And she was also um, the Griswold daughter in Vegas Vacation. And, you know, I, I her Wikipedia has a bunch of listings, so she has been acting. But those are the only two and now three things I've seen her in. And it looks like she's lost weight, but she's like 48, still hot in spiral. And I was happy to see her that she's still working and got kind of a juicy-ish role in a big-ish movie working with Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. The I really like the ending scene of Spiral. It was very, very cool because, spoiler alert, in Spiral... They show a flashback where Chris, Chris's partner, Pete, he's a corrupt cop and he's talking to this dude in his doorway. And the dude is like, I'll testify, officer. Don't worry. And Pete shoots him. And then the, his kid witnesses it. And Pete's like, oh, the, the witness pulled a gun on me. And Chris, Chris Rock's like, what? So at one point, he sees the kid, and he goes to the kid, and he says, shh. He puts his fingers to his mouth, to his lips, and he goes, shh. And then at the end of the movie, it's basically reversed. And, you know, I don't know if I want to give the whole scene. I think I will. I think I will. Um, basically, the kid grows up, spoiler alert, to become this jigsaw copycat killer. And um, at the end of the movie, he has Samuel L. Jackson being pulled on like these wires and a shotgun comes out of his arm, not out of his arm, but out of his sleeve, I guess. And the puppet wires raise his arm up and then the cops or SWAT or whatever come and they see that Samuel L. Jackson has raised a gun towards them and they start shooting at him. And Chris Rock's like, no, he's like Darth Vader, no. And then so they shoot Samuel L. Jackson dead and Chris Rock looks over to the kid who's now grown up and the door is closing as he escapes. And then the kid puts his finger to his lips and he goes, shh, credits. I thought it was a very cool ending shot. You know, I like the movie a lot. I'm not I don't know if I would call it great, but I did enjoy it. Um, but sometimes there are cool ending scenes to not great movies um 
even though I did like Spiral a lot. Like the end end sequence to Five Hundred Days of Summer is one of the most memorable ending sequence, even though it's kind of simple. You know, he's spoiler alert if you haven't seen Five Hundred Days of Summer. Five Hundred Days of Summer, but at the end, he's like, "My name is Tom," and she's like, "My name is Autumn." Anyway, let's move on. Um, I watched Death on the Nile. Death on the Nile is a sequel to Murder on the Orient Express. I watched Death on the Nile with my wife. Neither of us have seen Murder on the Orient Express. Um, It's not streaming anywhere, at least not in any paid subscriptions. Murder on the Orient Express, that is, that I remember that I've seen. But Death on the Nile is like new to HBO Max, I think. I think you can see it on Hulu as well. And it was pretty good. It was, um, you know, they're on a... It's... I don't know if I want to go through the plot, but basically there's a death on the Nile and... um. Kenneth Branagh, who directed the movie, I'm not sure if he directed the first one, but he be, he's a detective and he has to figure out who killed the person who was killed on the Nile River. So it's for me, it's almost like a Knives Out, but Knives Out was a lot of lot more fun. You know, Death on the Nile is a very serious movie. There's not much humor in it at all. Knives Out felt at least funner to me. But it was good enough where I turned to my wife and I said, do you want to watch the first one? She was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I think it's the same thing except it's on a train. And she was like, oh, that's not interesting. I'm like, well, we'll see. I think it could be interesting on a train. And I'm sure Agatha Christie predates knives out by about 80 billion years but death on the nile is fun um gal godot i'd rather say godot than godot i'm not sure how it's pronounced but i'd rather say godot all right she's not a great actress um the first time i saw her was in batman v soups and i liked her a lot and i actually remember thinking to myself this girl's a great actress because, you know, she's obviously she's beautiful. She's hot as fuck. And, you know, there's these like little glances that she gives to Batman. And, you know, at the end of the movie, she just her facial expressions. I'm like, this girl's a great actress. She's doing very little without even speaking. But, and then I liked her in Wonder Woman. I did not like her in Wonder Woman 2. I didn't like her in Death on the Nile. I think it has something to do with her voice. I didn't like her in Break in Ralph, Wreck-It Ralph 2. I think it has something to do with her voice. Um, And I don't mean that to be mean. Like, there's a movie I saw in the past year or so with three like legendary martial artists, like Asian martial artists. 
and they were speaking English in the movie and it came off kind of weird. And I, again, I don't mean to be mean, but I think speaking in their own language, they're able to emote effectively. And then when they, they're like struggling to say the lines because English is not their first language. And you can hear it in their voice that it sounds different. Obviously, if you say something in your first language and you're acting and you say the same thing in in a second language it's going to sound different it's i guess it's the difference between like english dubs and like japanese audio and anime or something but you're having the actor say the english dubs at this point and it's it's going to sound different so like i don't mean this to sound bad but like a japanese person saying so like like they're gonna say it really fast and really effective if they if they trying to if the same actor tries to speak english and it's not their first language and they're not fluent or strong in the language you're the acting is going to sound different so and i i'm reminded of the interview that the only of joss whedon where he said well Gal Gadot, English is not her first language. I don't mean it to be that way. I that's not what I mean at all. It's just or maybe it is. I I don't mean to be an asshole. But something about her voice like even her her voice performance in Wrecked Ralph 2, it's it's just not great. It sounds very dull, very like single toned, very kind of boring and you know, you have good actors like Javier Bardem. He, I'm sure he practiced English enough where he gets it to a point where he can act effectively in the English language. And I think Gal Gadot needs to do that. And she hasn't yet. Just something about when she speaks, it just, I don't know, for me, it's it just doesn't come out effective. So that's what I'm saying in in Batman v Supes, like she gives a slight glance to Bruce Wayne and um, her facial expressions when she's crossing her wrists and like blocking that big blob at the end of Batman v Supes, she, her facial expressions and she can act with her face. So I'm, I'm saying she has potential for an actor, but something about her voice. I don't know. Maybe she needs a dialect coach or a language coach. I don't know. I apologize to Gal Gadot and her fans. I don't mean to be mean. I'm just speaking from the heart. Um, that being said, she's hot as fuck. Next on the list, I watched Only the Lonely. I've heard about this movie 80 billion times on We'll See You in Hell. You can't find the DVD anywhere. Maybe eBay for like 50, 60 bucks. I look on Mercari, Mercari, and I only there. The only things that show up are VHS and Laserdisc, and I can't find a DVD copy anyway anywhere, which is dumb. It's a shame. I watched it with my wife. We liked it a lot. You know, we I've showed her a few John Candy films, so I don't think she would remember his name, but she recognizes him for sure. Um. We watched Uncle Buck, which I didn't like all that much. It was, you know, corny, not that funny. 
We watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which was very funny and very good. Um, I th- I'm not sure if she would remember his performance in Home Alone, but we've seen a few movies with John Candy in it, and this is a really great movie. It's a rom-com, rom-com drama. Um, you know, again, it's Maureen O'Hara 30 years after The Parent Trap, John Candy, James Belushi, Ali Sheedy, and it's just, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a good, it's a good movie. And, you know, you got to see John Candy in a bunch of comedic roles. But this was like it's it's a different side of him. Um, you know, it's a romantic movie, which none of the other movies are romantic that I can think of. And it was a different side, and he was effective in the role, and you really buy the romance between the two of them. And uh, I don't know, it's just a shame that he died at forty three. I think I was calculating it, so he died in um, at forty three in like 94 or something like that and maureen o'hara played his mom and she died like 21 years later as an old woman in her 90s and it i know they're just actors but it was just sad to see that it's i'm sure she she felt sad when he passed I don't know if she would have thought like, oh, it's like my son dying. Maybe not to that extent, but I don't know. It was just sad, but it was a very good movie, and it was nice seeing him in a different kind of role than I've than I've ever seen him in just purely a comedic role. And I I read briefly there was a a brief little blip in his in the Wikipedia for Only the Lonely, where it was from James Belushi, and he said that. Maureen O'Hara was given a tiny... I don't know how true this or accurate this is. I hope it's true. But Jim Belushi said that Maureen O'Hara was given a tiny trailer because the budgets... They didn't have a big enough budget to give big trailers to old actors. And John Candy was upset at this, so he gave Maureen O'Hara his trailer. And he went without a trailer for a time until the studio finally gave in and gave every actor a trailer. So I don't know how true that is. I hope it's true. I I mean, John Candy seemed like a great person and a great performer and a funny dude. And that is only the lonely. If you have a DVD, send it my way. Um, uh, text me. The final movie in this movie corner is A Quiet Place Part 2. Watched it yesterday with my wife. We were big fans of the first one, and I like this one a lot. Um, I feel like it's just a solid horror thriller movie. And I listened to the episode on We'll See You in Hell, and they, you know, the two of them got hung up on the plot holes, which I, I, I get. I understand, I don't disagree with, but at the same time, I don't really care. I just enjoyed the movie. And the biggest plot hole that I found that they did not mention was at the beginning of the movie, during the flashback, when they all run into the bar and they're all 
crouched down under the tables. And the dude, Raj, he starts panicking and crying and starts saying, like, Our Father who art in heaven, blah, blah, blah. And John Krasinski puts his hand over his mouth. There's, and I don't think Pat and Joe mentioned this, but there's no way that he would have known in such a short amount of time that these monsters are attracted to sound. So I don't know if that was set up to to show that John Krasinski was some sort of genius or he's so smart and observant that he was able to pick that up right away. But basically they see this big like explosion in the in the sky, something flying to earth. And then they're running away from these creatures who I'm sure they haven't even gotten a good look at yet. And then all of a sudden he covers the Raj's mouth and he he shakes his head no, as if to say he already knows in the few seconds of experience that he knows that these creatures are attracted to sound. I don't know that it's not a big complaint from me. I just know I'm surprised Pat and Joe didn't mention it. If like they went through every plot hole they could think of, and I thought. That was a big one, but it didn't bother me that much. I liked the movie. Um, it was entertaining. Um, I just, I liked it. I read that there's a spinoff in production coming out in 2023. I don't know anything about that other than that it's a spinoff. And a sequel is coming out in 2025. And I wonder if there's going to be more flashbacks because they only showed day one in A Quiet Place Part 2. And I wonder if there's going to be more flashbacks so he could insert himself some more. I, I have no problem with it. I think Joe in particular just doesn't like John Krasinski. Um, I think Pat's opinion is not that harsh. But I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was well done. So... I'm going to now look at the Oscars um, list. Apologies for the delay. Um, all right. Let's just get this out of the way. Controversy ensued when actor Will Smith walked on stage and slapped comedian Chris Rock in the face during the ceremony after Rock made a joke about Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, the incident received heavy news coverage and largely overshadowed the rest of the ceremony. That in and of itself is um, funny to me. The fact that the slap overshadowed the rest of the ceremony. Um, I'll try to be quick about this. Here's the thing. My thoughts and opinions on this do not matter. Probably most people's, if not everyone's, opinions and thoughts on the matter do not matter. Well, I guess that's not true. But it's that thing where, like, it's 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 the thing that everyone talks about. But do individual opinions really matter? Like, who cares? Like, you know, like, what? I am not connected to Will Smith or Chris Rock 
I am a human with an opinion. Does my opinion matter? No. Am I going to say it anyway? Yes, because I am a male. So, you know, Chris Rock, I don't I haven't seen much of his stand up to be honest. Um I I'm a fan now. I mean, I'm more of a fan now than before because of the inf- incident. He was doing his job. He was saying jokes and Will Smith got angry, went on stage and slapped him. And my thoughts are that I think it's ridiculous. I don't think anyone, I don't care who you are, Will Smith, the president, I don't don't care who you are. I don't think anyone has the right to assault a comedian for any joke that they say for any comment, anything they say, you don't have the right to assault them. Um, Unless you're like Harvey Weinstein or Bill Cosby, like we should all be throwing rocks at them for the evils that they have done. I think there should be a law passed that you should be jailed if you don't throw rocks at them, if you pass by them. But that's a different issue. Chris Rock is just, one of the most beloved comedians in the history of time saying a joke, which he's supposed to do. And no one has the right to assault a comedian for a joke that you said. And the thing that I find most disturbing is that the the mics were on, the cameras were on, it's a live event. And Will Smith has the ego and the hubris that he thought that he could go up there and assault him after a joke that he made at his wife's expense. And as far as I know, and I don't really know because I'm off social media, but as far as I know, there was no consequence. So like what kind of message are we sending that a man can assault a comedian for a joke and there are literally no consequences? The mics were on, cameras were on, and nothing was done. And um, I thought it was disgusting. I thought he should have been escorted out. I was talking to my brother, and my brother was like, he should be banned. I was like, whoa, I didn't know you had such strong thoughts on the matter. He's like, yeah, I think he should be banned. I don't. And, you know, minutes later, he got best actor, and he was able to get up there and make his little speech. And he's still... Um, He tried to play it off like I'm at a point where I need to protect my family. Slapping a comedian for a joke he said about your wife is not, you know, that's not right. It's not protecting your family. You're a fucking idiot. Um, Anyway, I thought that was disturbing. Um, And then here's here's the here's the last thing I'll say about it. Hopefully it was the. The tamest, tamest, tamest of joke. Um, what's G.I. Jane? A, a 97 movie, I think. He's going to reference a 1997 Demi Moore movie. Simply comparing their hairstyles. It's the tamest of jokes. And I started to think of like Seth MacFarlane when he said the joke like oh this movie is about a 
a domestic violence between a man and a woman, or what Rihanna and Chris Brown would call a date night. Like, that's an edgy joke. And still, no thro- no punches, no slaps were thrown. And if there were, I, 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 would, I could kind of get it. But nothing was thrown. And then, you know, I'm sure Ricky Gervais has said edgy jokes. Norm MacDonald at a sports event was like, you guys are receiving all the accolades and praise and accomplishments. Nothing can take that away from you. Well, unless you kill someone. Um, these are edgy jokes. Chris Rock referencing a 97 film is such a tame, tame joke. So, like, I really hate that the culture these days, people get offended by the tamest, tamest of jokes. It's, it's I think it's so disturbing and pathetic the way that people react now to just really innocuous jokes like i don't know that's the most disturbing thing i found like chris rock it wasn't even that great of a joke to be honest it's a very tame not great of a joke if he said something like whoa jada did you just come from chemo or something that i would understand a punch again he doesn't have the right to punch him, but that's the kind of edgy joke or I would understand or like, what's up, Jada? Are you dying? Some like something like that. I, I, I could expect more anger, but G.I. Jane is such a non joke. Anyway, that's the last thing I'll say about it. Um, again, my opinion doesn't matter. Most people's opinion does not matter. Um, I'm just going to quickly go through the winners and we'll wrap this up. I don't think anyone's listening, so none of this matters. Um, so I'm glad that Coda won. I'm glad that Coda won because I didn't see West Side Story. I've, I've mentioned all this before, but I'm just going to go through it real quick. Didn't see West Side Story, not much interest. I kind of just want to rewatch the original. I might see it eventually. Power of the Dog, I liked a lot. It made my wife and I talk and think about it, which most movies do not do. Nightmare Alley was two hours of boring, 30 minutes of pretty cool. Licorice Pizza, not much interest. Although I heard um, a woman flashes her breasts. So maybe I'll watch it. King Richard, again, I have no interest. Um, I never follow tennis. I don't really know Serena and Venus. So I don't want to know about their father. Dune, I liked. And I liked, we liked it. Drive my car, I liked it, but it's very long. Don't look up, I kind of hated. Belfast, I still know nothing about and I have not seen it so for me the top two were coda and power of the dog but power of the dog again power of the dog nightmare alley drive my car those are the types of movies that the academy nominates and praises because they're long slow artsy and boring and coda was not long artsy slow or boring it was very funny very entertaining 
the issue the main issue i had with it is that it was vanilla it there's like no edge to it and i had a hard time putting that into words but pat walsh mentioned it on their podcast he described it as like the best disney channel movie ever made and that's like a really great way to put it it's just not much darkness in the movie not much edge to the movie but it's a very simple story very well told and it's very funny very emotional very good and i'm glad it won best director jane campion i guess it's well deserved um the only other movie i saw was drive my car and it was i liked it but it was slow and boring best actor um I didn't see Tragedy of Macbeth with Denzel Washington. I didn't see Tick, Tick, Boom with Spider-Man. I did see Being the Ricardos. Javier Bardem was good in it. I didn't see King Richard. I wish he didn't get the Oscar. I don't know if the they should take it away or ban him or what, but it's just it's disappointing and disheartening that he thinks he he assaulted a comedian for saying a joke gets away with it doesn't get banned doesn't get escorted out and then he wins best actor it's like it just kind of puts a stain on the whole thing um i would have put my money on benedict cumberbatch on power of the dog because i loved his performance there's he he's one of those great actors that there wasn't an ounce of doctor strange in that movie he created I don't know if he created the character. I'm sure it was in the writing and in the directing, but he performed it really great. He put on a really great performance, and I I wish he had won. Um, best actress. I I never finished Spencer with Kristen Stewart. Didn't see Parallel Mothers, Penelope Cruz. Didn't see Lost Daughter, Olivia Coleman. I did see Being the Ricardos, Nicole Kidman. I don't think she deserves a nomination. I am very glad Jessica Chastain won for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, let me just see. I, I don't know why, but I'm curious to see how old she is. She is 45. She's married to someone I don't know named Gianluca Passi de Propusulula married 2017 she has two kids she is beautiful anyway she her performance was great um i was telling my brother it kind of reminded me of enchanted with um amy adams let me see if she won any awards for that movie um accolades best original song i don't think she was nominated um because you know i don't think amy adams will ever play a character like like the character she played in enchanted she'll never play something like that again and if she does people will be like Oh, she already did this in Enchanted. So I think this was similar. Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye. It was a juicy role. It was a juicy performance. And she was really great in that role. Um, 
me personally, I'm not familiar with Tammy Faye or Jim Baker. I think it was before my time, maybe. But I was not familiar with them. Or maybe I just didn't pay attention. Um, Well-deserved, I would say, for Jessica Chastain. My favorite award for the night is Best Supporting Actor, Troy Kotzer in CODA. Um, it was just... It was for me. It was an incredible performance. He was doing comedy. He was doing emotional drama. the The scene where he's feeling his daughter's throat was incredible for me, and um, I'm really, I'm just really happy that he won. I didn't see Belfast. Ciaran Hines, Power of the Dog. I don't think Jesse Plemons deserved a nomination at all. It was kind of a non-performance. He gives a lot of non-performances these days, um, just like in Antlers. Um, J.K. Simmons being with the Ricardos, I guess. Cody Smith-McPhee, Power of the Dog, I guess. But I'm glad Troy Kotzer won. Um, Best Supporting Actress... The only one I've uh, Ariana DeBose won for in um, West Side Story. I haven't seen it. The only one I saw was Power of the Dog. Kristen Dunst, and she plays kind of like a kind of a nutty, drunken mom, like a milf. I think her character's name was Rose the Milf Gordon in Power of the Dog. I haven't seen West Side Story, so I can't speak to that. And then the rest are kind of boring. Best Original Spring Screenplay, Belfast. Um, yeah, no comment. I don't. I haven't seen the other movies. Best Adapted Screenplay, I'm glad Coda won because it was based on a French movie, which is surprising. Um, best animated feature film to me this was a surprise because I I really liked Raya and the Last Dragon Raya and I thought that was a shoe in I almost feel like maybe Encanto won because of recency bias because it was newer than Raya and the Last Dragon maybe that's unfair to say I haven't seen Flea Luca was fine. I haven't seen Mitchell versus the Machines, but I really thought Rayo and the Last Dragon was going to win. I thought it was a much better film than Encanto, but maybe Encanto won because of the music. Who knows? Best international film, Drive My Car. It's the only movie I saw in that category. Best documentary feature, I haven't seen any of those and the rest are boring um and then dune won a bunch of the boring categories it, i won the most awards i think but it won a bunch of boring awards like well original score is not boring but like i mentioned before the score kind of annoyed me but maybe it was a mixing issue or my tv speakers issue but I didn't really love the score. I, my vote would have been Encanto. 
by Jermaine Franco. Um, best original song, Dos Orguitas, a.k.a. Little Mermaid Part 2, did not win. It went to No Time to Die. Best sound, Dune, Snore. Best pro- production design, Dune. I mean these awards are snores. I don't mean Dune was a snore. Best cinematography, Dune. Best hair, best makeup and hairstyling, Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is, you know, I well-deserved, although I haven't seen the rest. I'm surprised to see House of Gucci um, was nominated. I haven't seen that movie, but I didn't know that that movie was nominated for anything. Best costume design, Cruella, didn't like it. Film editing, Dune. Visual effects, Dune. So... The most nominations was Power of the Dog, and I think it won one or two. Um, I think it won one. It was it had the most nominations, but it won one. Dune won the most, but there were boring awards. Uh, Coda won Best Picture, so I did not watch a stitch of it. It's interesting because I didn't watch it. And then, you know, my sleep schedule is kind of weird because I work early mornings and I sleep during the day. And I got a text from my sister-in-law saying, I'm not sure if you're watching the Oscars, but this just happened. So she showed me the clip of Will Smith and Chris Rock. I, I don't know, but I hope that everyone is backing Chris Rock behind his um, reaction and his, you know, what he did in reaction to the slap. He kept it professional. He kept the show going. And, you know, now that I, I didn't think of this ever until this moment, but Chris Rock could have got upset and then pushed Will Smith or punched him back or slapped him back. He didn't do anything. He didn't do a thing. He he got slapped, kept talking, and kept the show going. Will Smith's a fucking child. I don't want to I don't want to end the episode on that note, but I think I will. I think I will. Um that's really all I got. I apologize for my monotone voice and my soul and my personality. And I, if you're listening to this, I'm just, I just want to apologize for me being me. I don't like myself. I hate myself a lot. And I'm, I'm sorry for being me in front of you. I apologize. I don't mean to be me, but that's all I can do. Be me. Thanks for listening. I can't find the button. Stay odd and keep on playing.